try that again. Good morning. Make sure that everything's working. There we go. Yeah, we're good. It is wonderful to be with you again. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Peter. Uh, my wife's Tanya. She's around somewhere in the congregation. We um, were here at this lovely church for a number of years, and it's wonderful um, to be back with you again. Um, our background is, um, I suppose, in terms of relevance, um, in 2010, I think it was, leading up to that time, uh, Tanya and I felt that God was calling us into something else. And that landed us with a few years living in another country, serving those that are um, in trouble in this world, those are refugees, those are displaced, who we've just been um, praying for. And then back to the UK leading organization called Prison Fellowship. Uh, we work in prisons across um, the country. And the link between those two things is God's compassion and God's love for the hurting, those who need to know him most, perhaps, in our lives. And today our title is God is Kind. Um, something you might not have thought about in that particular way before. Um, and what I'd like to do is to try and go through three things with you. The first is to really convince you that God is kind, if you're not convinced of it already. The second is to encourage you that you are made in God's image, and therefore you are kind. And if you haven't thought about that, maybe to dig into that a little bit and let the Holy Spirit dig that out. And then to lastly get a little bit practical about what does that mean if we are to be kind because God is kind and we are followers of God, we are followers of Jesus. If you do a little search on worship songs about God being kind, what you'll discover is many come up. Problem is, if you look at them, as I'm sure David did, what you'll then discover is that they're actually about Jesus. And I want us to dig into that a little bit because when I say I want to convince you that God is kind, you probably think, well, I know that. But actually, when we talk about God being kind, the bit of the Trinity that we go to is Jesus. And actually, that's wrong because the Trinity all have the same characteristics. There can only be one God. There can only be one God. And so if Jesus is kind, God is kind. Let's go back to the beginning. I always like to go back to the beginning of stories. And I want to go right back to the beginning of the Bible because beginnings are important. I want us to go to Genesis 1 and I want us to read uh, what we found there. Because when we tell the Genesis story to each other, the first thing we often say is God is powerful, don't we? We think of the creation of the world. I don't know if you've seen those new images that were created by that marvellous new, new telescope that go back to the beginning of time and show us what the world looks like. They are amazing. Dig them out. Just go to Google and put new images of... Uh, the beginning of the world, new images of, the, uh, of creation. They are absolutely fantastic and they show us something about God's creation. And we hear about God in his single breath creating things. And it's, it's a marvellous story in creation, isn't it? 
And then we see that God is relational as well. We say, and the Bible tells us that he wanted to have company. He wanted to be with what is called mankind in the Bible. And that is still true today. He still wants to be with you and me. Genesis 1, verses 27 said, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let's not just pass over that last little bit. Male and female, he created them. Important. We are made in the image of God, and let's log that because we'll come back to it. So we start by knowing that God is powerful creator. We then go on to knowing he is relational. And where do we jump to next, usually in our Genesis story? We usually jump to, we do something bad, and God says, I'm so cross with you, I'm going to kick you out of the house. Or in this case, the garden. That's where we go next. That God is holy, and he is angry with us. But I want us to just return to a little verse that we often miss in this story, and it's this one. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Let me read that again. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. Why have I asked us to stop here? Firstly, because quite often to focus, it's quite often good to focus on verses that we skip over because they tell us something that we've not seen before. In this context, you'll remember, Adam and Eve were hiding. They were literally, the Bible tells us, naked and afraid. Now you know where they got that title for that television program for. And they were naked and afraid. And they gathered some um, leaves, we're told, and they covered themselves. I suspect it was fairly comical. You know, trying to sort of hide themselves with the leaves. It doesn't sound particularly... Um, clever does it and in this fear and nakedness God sees their predicament that they've got themselves into because there are always consequences to the mistakes we make aren't there even today and he covers them and what the Bible tells us is and, and there's a beautiful picture I think of him stitching these clothes together or I might say her stitching those clothes together. I want you to notice that in this story, God creates through word, and then we're told he makes. There's a change of language there. He speaks into creation with immense power, and then we're told he makes. And the reason I use the feminine pronoun there is, not just to be provo provocative, is because just to remind us that God is outside of gender, but also I think it is a beautiful feminine image of God sitting down and stitching clothes. When you think of someone sitting down and stitching, what do you think of? You think of a woman. And I think it is a wonderful picture of God's kindness. Imagine how they felt. They've got two people. They've got this beautiful garden. They've done something wrong. They are so afraid that they're hiding from their creator. And God says, I'm going to cover 
your shame. I'm going to cover that sin. I'm going to cover that problem that you've created. I'm going to sit down. I am going to create. I'm going to make these clothes for you. But let's step back a little bit. Why don't we naturally think of God when we think of kindness? Why is it? Part of the problem, I think, is because of a little thing called substitutional atonement. A bit of theology, which is the posh way of saying Jesus died in our place on the cross. And I think preachers have used that verse. And one of the ways evangelists in particular have used it to scare us is to say that God is very angry with us, he's cross with us. And what they have painted inadvertently is an unkind God. I don't think they meant to do that. But I think one of the problems we have is when we take that picture and we get carried away and we push it and we push it, we create a picture of a God who is unkind. And that is just not true. Our view of God and therefore father figures and men sometimes is that we should be tough and we should be pushing it to the point of unkindness. And the problem with love today in our society is that it can be portrayed to people in the wrong way. Love is all those things we just heard. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love doesn't seek wrong. It is kind. It is not unkind. It is not abusive. It is not sexualized. Love is kind and so is our God. Let's look at Jesus' life because I want to go back to the word on this in case some of you are doubting. Luke 10, the parable of the, God, of the Good Samaritan. Kindness portrayed. Matthew 8, Jesus reaches out and touches the leper. An act of kindness. Luke 19, Jesus destroys his own social status by associating himself with Zacchaeus in an act of kindness. John 4, the tender way in which Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well, who was an outcast to her society, can only be seen as kindness. Luke 8, he sought out the woman who had touched him because she wanted to be healed, because he wanted to be with her and say, it's okay, it's okay, what you did was all right. Luke 22, he stopped the fight even when he was being arrested and took, imagine this, Jesus is being arrested, there's violence around him, he's being grabbed and pulled and one of the people who is seen as the enemy of his, of his disciples gets their ear chopped off. What does Jesus do? He stops the fight and says, I'm going to heal this man. Can you think of a more beautiful act of kindness. Matthew 14, Jesus is concerned for people's hunger. The disciples say, get them away, send them off to the villages to make their own arrangements. There's too many of them. We can't feed them. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Give the people some food. And let's not think that kindness isn't also in the Old Testament. Genesis 18, Abraham showing hospitality to three strangers. Joshua 24, Rahab and the Israelite spies. 2 Samuel 24, David, King David, um, sparing, I can never say this name, Meshivabeth, sorry I got it wrong. 
his life when he pleaded for him and he provided for him. And of course, the beautiful story of Ruth and the kindness that showed in there. And even in God's law, think about the year of Jubilee. Think about when everything was written off. All the debts are just written off in that wonderful year of Jubilee. And all of the things that were owned and slaves were given back. And so we see throughout the Bible and we see in Jesus beautiful expressions of kindness. It's woven through the Old Testament. It's woven through the New Testament. And we know that God and Jesus are two parts of one trinity. So we can't have two contrary characters. We can't have one angry Zeus-like period stomping around heaven, being cross with us still, and one Jesus going around constantly just randomly forgiving people's sins. Have a read of the New Testament. Jesus randomly went round saying, your sins are forgiven to many people who didn't even ask. And healing people constantly. God is kind. There is no other way of speaking about it. We often say that we are saved through grace alone. We are. I'm absolutely convinced of that. But that statement doesn't stand alone. It's a bit like saying, I was a member of Haywards Heath Baptist Church, and that's it. There's nothing more to me. There is more to me. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a worship leader. I lead prison fellowship, and I love classic triumph cars. All those things are also true. And they don't negate the fact that I'm also a member of this church, or I was, rather. One of my favourite Christian authors says, we have taken orthodoxy over orthopraxy. What does that mean? Orthodoxy is the things we believe, the things that are in our head. Orthopraxy is the stuff we do as a result of that that also comes from the Bible. Both are equally important. James tells us that very clearly. If we have one without the other, then we're not following God's word. Jesus said often two very simple words to people who were interested in what he was doing, didn't he? Do you remember what they were? Thank you very much, sir. Follow me. That's what he said. Follow me. And I think the fact that we've taken orthodoxy over orthopraxy quite often has led us to believe that kindness isn't a high priority for God. And again, it's not true. What we do with these every day and what we do with this thing here is really important to God. What we do with our hands, we've just been thinking about that, haven't we, in our prayers. And what we do with our mouth, what we say, is important. I want to turn to Titus just for a little verse because you might think that the Bible doesn't actually say that God is kind, but it does, and it says it in a very beautiful way. It says it like this. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us 
not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. I think these are beautiful words because they talk about the kindness and the love of God as being our gospel. Think about that for a moment. The kindness and the love of God in these words in Titus are linked to the centre of the God. When the kindness and God and love, our Saviour appeared and saved us, that's what it's saying there, when he saved us, that was the kindness and love of God. Wow. So not only is God kind, the Bible tells us that that kindness is central to our salvation, what Jesus did for us on the cross. Let's just sum up for a little moment. Kindness is central to the centre of God's character. We see this right at the beginning of the word and going right through into Jesus' day-to-day ministry. And we also see in the book of Titus that Christ coming to earth is described as the kindness of God. So what does that mean for us, those of us who call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus? Well, just to get a little bit practical before we closed, always good, isn't it? Some ideas are always great, they're stimulating, but what does it mean tomorrow morning? Galatians 5, verses 22 to 23, tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. And this word kindness has been translated in Galatians from the word krestos. Terrible pronunciation, I'm sure. Sorry about that again. And I'm told that this means softening or mellowing. Isn't that wonderful? That's how we are to be. This word translated into kindness actually in the original has a lovely sense of softening, of mellowing something that was once harsh. So we as people who have said, yes, we want to follow Jesus, the the word tells us that we are to become mellow. We are to become softened. That's how we are to interact with the world, particularly those of us who once perhaps had a prickly edge to us who were a little harsh. And the implication here is that we need the Holy Spirit to help us to do that. Day-to-day kindness in the world sometimes is based around tolerance, isn't it? Being nice. And that's all right. That's good. But actually, biblical kindness is always rooted in love. Because otherwise, kindness can just be a facade. It can be appearing kind, but actually not stemming from others and what their needs are and how we can help them, but actually stemming from wanting to feel good or be seen to be good ourselves, perhaps from a motive of duty. At a recent prayer meeting I was having, there was a hundred of our um, peer volunteers there. We were having a Zoom um, prayer meeting and I thought, well, I've got some Christians here. I'll do a little research for this talk. And I said, what does kindness in action look like? And they gave three answers, three answers that were consistent. Listening, 
compassion and caring. I thought that's interesting. Listening was the one that came out first in terms of acting kindly towards other people. So I want to just land this with a few ways that we can be kind. The first is having an attitude of love. I think of this as the way we are with people. Having kindness in here and working on that. Why is that important? Well, because if you didn't realise this, you leak. You leak all the time. You leak what is in here and what's in here. And so you may do things that somebody thinks, yeah, that's kind, that's kind, that's good. But the problem is the way you did it might leak something else. So the first thing we need to ask God to do through the Holy Spirit is to change our hearts, to have an attitude of love, so that when that kindness comes out, it's felt as so by other people. The next I want to give as an example, I want to go to Romans 12, but I want to talk about it in terms of an unreciprocated smile. Romans 12:18 says this, as far as it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love this, the Bible is so practical, isn't it? You can't always live in peace with somebody in a two-way two direction. They may not ever live in peace with you. And the Bible doesn't require that to happen. But what the Bible requires of us is that we live at peace with them as far as we are able. We do as much as we can. This means that when you meet that grumpy person, let's say you're serving coffee, and a grumpy person comes up to you and wants a coffee, and they're just a bit offhand with the way they say it. The way we are asked to respond to that in Romans 12, 18, is with an unreciprocated smile. They may never smile back. It doesn't matter. As far as we are able, the word says. The next is our words. And with that, I include our tone of voice. The words we choose and the way we choose to say them. Number four, allowing others to be wrong in our own eyes. This is a tough one for some people. Allowing other people to be wrong can be an act of kindness. Do you realise that? You don't always have to tell them they're wrong. It doesn't matter. Sometimes just letting it be can be a fantastic act of kindness to somebody else. Clearly, if they're going to damage themselves, yes, an act of kindness would be to stop them, to tell them they don't do that. But actually, sometimes just letting it be can be such an amazing act of kindness, keeping this little thing closed for a moment. question I try and ask myself and I fail often is, are my next words going to be kind to that person? I'm nearly there. Time. Sometimes time is what is needed to be kind and it always comes at the most inconvenient time, doesn't it? Just when you're really busy or just when it's like, oh no, I haven't got time for this now, I've got that talk to prepare or 
I just want to go home and just watch some junk television. I'm so tired. But actually, when the woman in the crowd touched Jesus' garment and he was, he was so busy, there were people all around him, there's so much on, he just stopped for a moment and he said, who touched me? And was kind to that woman. And lastly, of course, our actions. What we choose to do, what we choose not to do, speaks volumes about whether God's kindness resigns excessively within our hearts. Everything from those little acts of kindness, that person that might need a seat, or something that's perhaps we consider a bit bigger. For me, I know sometimes I can be a bit slow to catch on with acts of kindness. I can't count the number of times something has happened, I've walked away and thought, "Mm, actually, I know what I should have done there. And sometimes it really takes an act of humility to turn around and go back and actually do what I should have done in the first place. Because sometimes I can be very slow about kindness. And that little kind of stopping and thinking, yeah, actually, what God wanted me to do back there was to do that. And sometimes there's an opportunity just to turn around and to go back and to start again. Jesus chose to feed 5,000 people. His action wasn't expected. All the disciples around him said, send them off to the village. And that's what the people would have expected. They would have just expected to go and have their food. But Jesus' kindness and compassion moved him to act. I want to encourage you, because I know this is a kind church, and I don't bring this talk as an act of rebuke. I bring it to spur you on to further acts of kindness. Paul in Hebrews 10 says, I want to spur you on to even more love and good deeds. People are coming to this church, I know they are. There are new faces. And one of the reasons they're coming is because they see love and they see acts of kindness here. That is why people will come and that's why they will stay. And when they feel it here, because it's genuine, that's why, that's how they will know the love of our Saviour. Love towards all of the images of God. I said at the beginning that I would come back to that. We are all made in God's image, even that person who just winds you up, even that person whose lifestyle you don't think is in a line with God's word, even that person who you think worships the wrong God in your view, they were made in God's image. And God says we are to be kind to them. I believe that one of the critical challenges for the church in the 21st century is to be loving and to be kind. You know, perhaps this is a bit controversial, but I'll say it anyway. I think one of the reasons that people are not going to other churches is because they have allowed themselves to interpret love as not kind. I want you to think about who else does that. The people who interpret love in unkind ways are called abusers. 
That's what it's called. God calls us to interpret love as kindness because 1 Corinthians 13, we've read it and we know it so well and we skip over it. It says love is kind. There is no other way of interpreting it. And for those of you who love critical thinking, if love is kind and God is love, then God is kind. If God is love and love is kind, then God is kind. So please be encouraged together as we gather and with God's help, we push towards expressing that amazing, wonderful gospel that Paul described as the kindness and the love of God. Bless you all.